This is me telling you that this podcast has a few swear words in it. Be advised. Welcome to Imagining Complexly. I'm Mary Brownlee. On this show, I want to learn about being human. The life of an everyday person with a little bit of a nerdfighter angle. I believe every person has a story and that that story is fascinating. And I think some of our greatest conflicts come from simply not understanding the person standing right in front of us, imagining them as an idea rather than as a person. Every episode, I choose a random nerdfighter and get to know them a little better in hopes of understanding everyone a little better. On this episode, we're complexly imagining nerdfighter Kira. For this first one, I asked an old friend of mine, seeing as I thought it might be difficult to get a stranger to agree to do this without an example first. Kira and I went to college together. She is an artist, a storyteller, a wife, a daughter, and an all-around great lady, and I am so excited for you to meet her. Welcome, Kira! Thank you so much for being here with us today. With me. There's nobody else here. Um, Why don't you start first by just telling us a little bit about yourself. My name is Kira. I'm originally from the Metro DC area, from the Maryland side. I have two younger siblings, my sister who is about 18 months younger than me, and I have a younger brother who is five years younger than me. My mom was a teacher, and then my dad has worked with the post office in one capacity or the other for pretty much his entire career. I work for a company where basically I'm gonna be handling contracts for copiers. I guess we should begin at the beginning. That seems like a logical place to start. Kira's childhood was a nerdy one, to say the least. I was pretty nerdy from the start. I remember, like, I have a very vivid memory of being a young kid, and I had watched the Ewok movies, which are like a spin-off of the Star Wars movies. There's a character in that named Cindel, which is like this little girl who's best friends with Wicket, which is the Ewok from the one that Leia hangs out with in the, you know, in the third movie. Or I guess now it's the sixth movie. Um, <laughs> whichever trilogy we follow. But I remember very specifically being a kid and she had these little white boots that she had and I wanted to like be just like her. So I remember like wind t- learning how to tie my shoe very specifically so I could wear my white boots, my white snow boots, and run around the house and pretend to be Sindel from the Ewok movies. So from an early age, I was always like super nerdy, loved Star Wars. I would drop anything to watch My Little Pony, uh, Disney princesses, like always been a super nerd. I was very, very shy, like, the older I got, because the older I got, I realized not everybody else was into that stuff. Not everybody understood my obsession with all these, like, fantasy things and unicorns and princesses. And uh, I was also heavily into Sailor Moon and anime, and so I was felt super ostracized and alone. But like so many others, a boy with a scar and a wand helped her discover a world outside herself. And Harry Potter came along. And I kind of caught it a little bit before the wave because my mom was a teacher. So she kind of like heard about it really right before it exploded. And I got it and I read it. And I was like, this is really, really good. And the next thing I knew was that, you know, someone else in the class all of a sudden had the book. And then another person in another class would have a book. And then all of a sudden I noticed like everybody in everyone's hand was the Harry Potter books. And for me, that made me realize like, even though like all these people like, who I originally felt very shy and like couldn't connect with. And all of a sudden here was a book that allowed me to connect with so many different people who were into different things, but that one book you get to like then share an experience um, with a bunch of other people. That was like such a wonderful thing to realize there are other people out there too who would love and appreciate nerdy sci-fi fantasy stuff. Of course, being the girl who loved Harry Potter and anime, wasn't always unicorns and jelly beans. In middle school, I was actually bullied pretty heavily. Um, and I didn't like it. I didn't have a, a, a tight knit group of friends. I actually had a friend one time who we were discussing books that we liked and she told me about a book she was reading and actually said to me, oh, you can't read this, you're not smart enough. And how do you think that like affected you like growing up? I just remember being alone a lot of the time, like in a 
room of kids just alone because for whatever reason they did not want to talk to me or socialize with me so like and that kind of did a number on me because it kind of made me realize made me always second guess did someone really want to be talking to me um but that was i think probably the most hurtful thing because it still kind of affects me today oh are people do they really want to have to hear what i have to say I also had two bullies who were male, um, and that was like pretty like it, it to the point where like I actually wanted to go to an all-girls high school um, because guys for a long time freaked me out um, because of that. And I guess one of the other things that was very upsetting was I did have a friend who um, was actually physically assaulted uh, outside of school. We were walking home, and this group of girls came over, and about maybe 10 or so of them, and they all just, they, like, knocked her over, and they started punching and kicking her, and, like, I was dumbstruck, being, like, the antisocial, socially clueless kid that I was, I just literally stood there with my mouth open, and I regret that to this day, like, I was just so dumbfounded that another group of children, because we were 12 years old, you're children, you are children, decided it was appropriate to come over and beat the living snot out of another kid. And it was so upsetting. And thank God there was um, a parent who had walked by and saw this and like came over and like pushed the kids off. And like me and her, like we walked home. I walked her home, but like the entire time, like, because I was crying the entire time. She was crying the entire time. And she kept asking me like, why didn't you do something? And I felt awful because I was just literally stunned, scared, like stupid, like what is happening? Like it, it happened so fast. Like it felt like it took forever, but it happened so fast at the same time. And this was a defining moment for me was that like, why am I staying here in a place where people are mean to me, where I'm being bullied, where I'm feeling bad about myself? Why am I staying here? I have the power to change that. Like and to be a kid to realize you have power to change your situation. Like that's a big deal. So that was the first time I realized I'm not happy about the situation. Uh, it's a bad situation, and I'm going to remove myself from it. So I requested uh, from my parents to put me in a private school. Oh, that's great. So fortunately, your parents were able to put you in this all-girls school that you really liked. Was it everything you hoped it would be? Yeah. I felt like I was able to just be myself, which was awesome. I was super sheltered as a kid as well, which didn't help my case to be like a little bit like emotionally and socially behind everybody else because they refused to talk to me. And then on top of that, like like my classmates, Titanic came out. I was not allowed to see Titanic. That was PG-13, couldn't see that. Um, I feel like my classmates knew and understood, or at least they faked it and understood um, uh, sexuality and stuff like that, which I didn't get at all. Like I understood, like. You know, we all got the birds and the bees talk, you know, and, and the health class and everything, but they used a lot of terms I think they picked up from, like, MTV. There was a lot of PG-13 stuff that I wasn't allowed to watch and that everybody else was allowed to watch, so, like, I felt, like, behind. Like, what are you guys talking about? Or, like, like what does that mean? It's like you're trying to tell me something, I just know it, but I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> so. Did, um, did you guys have, like, a prom and stuff? We have prom, yes. We have all the dances. We do, um, there's a lot of all-girls and all-boys schools, and what they'll do is mixers. Oh, so, like, what was the romantical situation there, then? There really wasn't a situation. Um, again, because, like, I actually, my two main bullies, which was um, these two guys who used to, like, really harass me. But because of that, it made me very nervous around guys. So I didn't really have much of a guy game. I wasn't interested in, in really, like, I was a little, like, I was definitely interested in guys, but at the same time, like, they were an unsafe place for me. So I really didn't, I wasn't worried about pursuing guys. I wasn't, you know, trying that hard. So in my dating life was pretty flatline. I did go to prom with a guy who was, like, a friend of a friend. There, there was a minor love romance thing in high school, now that I'm thinking about it, um, where basically I had asked, it was like a mutual friend, it was a different mutual friend from the one from prom, but it was like somebody who I kind of knew through like a youth group thing, and I asked him to one of my dances, and he had been like flirting with me for like months on end, and then we like kissed at the dance, and like I thought it was going great, and I thought it was going to go somewhere, 
And then he was like, yeah, I actually didn't mean that kiss. I thought it was going somewhere, and he was like, uh, yeah, no. The biggest crush I guess I could say I had was David Bowie from The Labyrinth. Because I made it a point, like, when I was, like, still in middle school to, like, get special permission to stay up late to watch The Labyrinth. But he was, like, I guess kind of a little bit of a crush, but not, like, I thought about him all day. You know, it was just like, guys, that's kind of cool. Like, he's a guy. He's like a fairy tale guy with a kingdom. That's pretty cool. One thing that Kira never lost her joy for throughout all the ups and downs of adolescence was her love of art and storytelling. I've always loved painting, always have loved drawing. Uh, storytelling in particular has always been like close to my heart. I wrote a lot of fan fiction. I was writing fan fiction and like my own like manga and like comics and stuff like that before the internet. Originally I thought I wanted to do storytelling through comics and I was really into comics. When I got to a high school level I kind of turned it more towards art um, and I thought that I wanted to do storytelling through pieces of art because each I, I believe each painting or you know piece of art kind of tells its own story in a way. So I thought that's how I wanted to do storytelling was through that like maybe through illustration or through paintings. Because um, if you look at like any children's book and you look at the artwork in it, it is phenomenal. So somebody has to make that. So I was originally thinking stuff like that. And then um, I actually got to, I think it was like either my junior or senior year. It was my, I think it was my senior year. And one of the art teachers, I'm working on my AP project. And one of the art teachers actually said to me, you know what, your stuff's really good, but it would have been better had you taken my drawing class. And I had to reply to her, I took the other teacher's drawing class. <sighs> so that was like kind of like, ugh, to the heart, like, yeah. okay, apparently I'm not very good at this. No, uh, that's just, that's tough. She, she didn't say it to be cruel or to be mean. She genuinely didn't think in my curriculum I had taken a drawing class, which to me screamed, oh my goodness, I'm about to graduate. I've been looking at art schools. Apparently, I just don't, like, not that I'm ever going to give up on art. I still paint. I still draw. I still do stuff. But to be able to do it at a professional level, I realized maybe that's not going to be a good fit. So all of a sudden I was like, crap, what am I going to do? DVD, or, yeah, DVDs had just come out. And so, like, me and my siblings religiously watched, like, Jurassic Park, like, over and over and over again. All the extended features, because uh, the novelty of the DVD was so awesome. And I remember seeing, like, um, filmmakers, like, you know, the behind-the-scenes filmmakers, and that's where I got inspired, like, well, maybe I could do storytelling through with, with film. And I also really appreciated, like, all the, like, the... the practical effects and the puppets that they used and the anim or I guess animatronics that they were using and then at the time it was like very groundbreaking the CGI that they were using so like all of that was just like whoa that's really cool that's an amazing form of storytelling that I just like I knew about it but I hadn't really considered it so I decided why not let's let's go for film I thought I could maybe do cinematography I could do you know I really wasn't quite sure I just knew it was another form of storytelling that I could get into so Kira found her way to film school with a whole new set of experiences and challenges. The first like night or two of college, I got there and I will admit to crying in my bunk. It's okay. Because it's a huge change in your life. You're all of a sudden like living with a stranger. You don't know anything. It's not your room. It's not your personal space anymore. It's something different and strange. It's okay to cry a little. I did. You know what, but at the same time, I was like, and I think the tears were more from just being overwhelmed, because there's so much going on, it's so different from anything else that you've ever done. I guess it's still school, but it's different. I mean, like, for me, I also, like, was super excited. I was more excited because I viewed college as a place for me to reinvent myself. I viewed college as, like, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter got to go away to Hogwarts, and he had, a, you know, roommates, and a trunk, and he brought it on the train, all this all this stuff to school, and he learned to do wizarding stuff, so I kind of took this as my Hogwarts, and it's an adventure, and it's exciting, I get to reinvent myself. Everyone's, and then the, the biggest thing is I realized everyone's in the same boat. No one's going to know each other either, so it's going to be equally awkward all parts round. I have the upper hand here as long as I can be force myself to be outgoing enough during these first few weeks and meet people. Is there something that stands out to you as like a really memorable 
part of college? Yeah, we all had something called practicum, where we all had to be working on, where we all had to work on uh, film projects with our classmates and stuff like that. And we would have advisors and we had to like create so much, you know, footage and be working on so many different projects and stuff like that. So freshman year, instead of being normal, which would be ignoring gender and saying, okay, everybody go complete, you know, assignments. It was decided that we were all going to do personal pieces about ourselves and all the guys could do whatever they want. But the girls, the women in the department, all had to uh, be segregated and do their own separate projects and their own separate festivals because nothing says equality like separation. So, uh, Mary, that's me. But yes, I totally remember this. Myself, and I think there was like maybe seven or eight of us total. Because there was only like in our freshman class, like six or seven of us. It was fun just because like it got us a chance to get to know each other. And I feel like, you know, we worked on all of our projects together. And I don't know, just like, I think just like the downtime of everybody hanging out. Like, I just remember that being so much fun. What was your project about? It was kind of like about changing and growing up. I was wearing my school goal uniform. There was a lot of like looking into the distance and like being in the woods and like <laughs> like I actually at one point had like goofball like angel wings on and like like the most weebooiest like Aunt May fairy tale. I just like jumped the shark. I wish I was more into YouTube back then because like it had just started but like some of the projects on youtube today are like crazy and i kind of wish i had like that kind of inspiration to like pull from you know because what people do today on youtube is is awesome it's so cool probably about my junior year i kind of realized it was not the form of storytelling for me i guess i had been self-doubting for a while about film and I specifically went to one of my professors and said, like, you know, do you think I'm talented at this? Do you think, like, you know, because I guess ringing back to the whole entire, I picked this kind of last minute, this major last minute in high school, um, you know, it, I, I guess I asked, basically asked my professor, like, you know, what do you think is my strong suit in film? Like, you know, you've known me, we've done a bunch of classes together. What do you think my strong suit is? And he just said, well, what do you like? And I was like, I guess I like cinematography. Like, I really enjoy that. And he was like, well, you're good at that. And I'm like, well, that's not really the answer to my question. And it kind of made me feel like we've been on this journey for the past several years. And you can't tell me anything about my work. Or And it was a small college. So I felt like that was the point, to have the more one-on-one, -on -one, be real, be honest. And that's where I kind of realized, like, okay, this is just an institution to get a degree. And I just felt like a lack of connection, a lack of, I don't know, just none of my projects. I, I also realized I can work in a team, but I prefer to work on my own, which was, I think, another big thing. Um, another thing was that working in film, it's a completely male-dominated field. When I, I mean, you know, because our class was pretty much all guys. And I feel like sometimes it was very hard to get a word in edgewise or like I always wanted to do kind of like, I feel like I always bit off more than I could chew. I was always trying to do like some like grander ideas and all the guys were kind of doing silly stuff and like I kind of wanted to do the grander ideas. Did like going through all this and realizing that this is not for you, like did any of this like make you like bitter at all? I was bitter because at the end there, like I did my internship um, and I was commuting to and from uh, New York City my junior year and I liked it I liked the experience but like for example um, I was asked to come back to do a pilot because um, they really liked me I came back did the pilot the hours were crazy like you were there before the sun was up and left after the sun went down and there were, I saw there was a woman there who was um, she was one of the head producers you know really awesome lady um, but she was like very heavily pregnant like like, she had to be, like, really far along in her pregnancy, and I overheard her talking on the phone to, like, her husband and, like, a young child, and I was like, that's crazy. Like, to me, it just made me realize, like, it's not, for me, it wasn't going to be conducive. Like, working on these projects, I think it finally made me realize that working on a lot of these projects would involve in really crazy hours. 
It would involve me being away from my family. Um, it would involve job instability. Unless I got with a production company, I would go from job to job, freelancing, basically. So all those aspects I realized, film is awesome. Um, I love it still, but just the lifestyle you have to live for me was like too much because I'd have to be in New York City or I'd have to be in L.A. I love film and the, the, the artistic nature of it and the storytelling of it. I love picking films apart and like really analyzing them. I don't think I could live the work lifestyle. So I realized that and that was kind of like, okay, not, not that that part made me better, but it was just a, a realization of lifestyle choice versus career choice. But I firmly believe in the regret fallacy, which is the idea that I can't regret something. Like if I didn't go to, to, my, to my college and I went to somewhere else, I wouldn't be the person I am today. If I had picked a different major, I wouldn't be the same person I am today. So if I regret something, I wouldn't be who I am today to even regret it. So I believe that every experience we have is still a part of our journey. And I feel like I it was important for me to take that step to, to try film, to see it wasn't for me. Which really worked out because had she never gone to school, she would have never met her future husband, Nate. It was very early on. He was actually dating somebody else at the time. Um, what happened was that our group of friends, like his group of guy friends and my group of girlfriends, Facebook back in the day was just for college students. There wasn't anybody else. It was only you had to have a college email address to get onto Facebook. And it was a big deal to like what you put your interests in. You know, you, you jazzed up your page. I put a lot of nerd stuff on it. Just a quick note, this next section has some audio issues, and I'm very sorry about that. Please forgive me. It's like, I love Lord of the Rings and comics and Star Wars and all that awesome stuff. Harry Potter, of course. Um, and this guy named Nate and his friend ended up uh, asking us to play Dungeons & Dragons. Via Facebook stalking. They realized that we love dun like we love nerdy stuff and they love Dungeons and Dragons, so they're like, maybe we would want to play Dungeons and Dragons with them. So we ended up getting together, learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons, it became a thing, we became a tight knit group of friends, and then he ended up dating somebody else in the tight knit group of friends. But it was okay because we took that time and ended up becoming like best friends. And that's why I started to realize, like, oh, like we 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 have like a lot we spend a lot of time together. But then it was kinda like Oh, he's dating this other girl that's totally not cool, and she's totally in our circle of friends that's totally not cool. And then, so, I took to, like, blurting out at them, like, you guys are such a great couple! You guys are so cute! But what I was really saying was, Nate, you're really great, you're really cute. Understandable. <laughs> um, and then eventually they broke up, and then a week or two later... Nate asked me out. It was very sweet. He came to the computer lab where I was hanging out with my friends and was like, hey, there's a full moon out tonight. You want to go for a walk? And I was like, yes. And then we went on a walk, and it was like gorgeous night sky with a big old full moon. And uh, that's when he was like, yeah, so I really like you. And I was like, I really like you too. And we decided to... Uh, become boyfriend-girlfriend. Actually, I was the one that pushed for the labels. Um, he wasn't really into labels, but I feel like by labeling it, you're making a statement of, I think, a certain level of commitment to one another. And in the midst of this budding romance, Kira decided to take a life-changing trip halfway around the world to Japan. We decided to keep dating, just do it long distance, which was hard because we were literally on polar ends um, we were opposite ends of the earth, so like literally as like I'm waking up, he's going to bed. So that was like very tricky, and I'm not gonna lie, it was stressful at some points in our relationship, but um, it was, I think, worth it because I needed to strike it out on my own. I felt like I needed to try and be independent and try, you know, go on this adventure of exploring a new place and meeting new people, and it's a beautiful country, very friendly, very polite. Um, got to see some amazing sights, try new food. Uh, I got to, I went actually knowing very, very, very little Japanese. I learned most of my Japanese while I was there. So that was also like a very cool, exciting, scary experience. Not really speaking the language, but the longer I'm there, like understanding it, like I guess learning curve and everything. It was like a really amazing experience. It was awesome. How awesome was it?
I had always kind of had an interest in Japanese culture. Uh, mostly it was originally introduced through anime and manga, but as I got older it became more of a genuine interest in culture. Um, just because when you're studying like Eastern and Western culture, Eastern culture is just so different. Like a lot of people go, like I feel like, you know, a lot of people sometimes go study abroad in Europe, which is wonderful and amazing, and like I've actually been to Europe. I feel like we draw a lot of our culture from them, so to try Eastern culture was... And that's a very broad statement, but, you know, uh, I was very interested in Japanese culture, um, just to live a different lifestyle and try different foods, different uh, customs and everything. That was really um, something I wanted to do, and it was something I wanted to do on my own. Is there, like, one thing from that trip that, like, really stands out? Yes. Me and my friends had decided that we wanted to go uh, see the hotel where they shot the movie Lost in Translation. The hotel where... Um, Bill Murray's character, you know, was staying at. So we decided to go one night. We took a train, uh, got off, and realized we were on the wrong side. We were, like, walking around for a while, went through some, like, underground tunnel with some graffiti, came back up, um, realized we were on, like, the wrong side of the highway. We actually managed to find the highway in Japan. Like, I don't know. It was like a very busy road where it was like at least four or five lanes in each direction uh, with a median cutting it in between. And there was no like pedestrian walkway. And we're walking and walking, trying to find a pedestrian walkway. And then finally, one of my friends goes, fuck it, and (laughs) jumps it. And we all start doing like the same mad dash. If you guys know the film in Austin Translation, there's a scene where Bill Murray and um, Scarlett Johansson or just, like, running across the street through traffic and stuff like that. And that's, what, like, literally what we were doing. We were, like, jumping traffic in the middle of Tokyo, just running through traffic. And we jumped over, like, this little, like, median fence and then ran through traffic again. And, like, because it's a big deal to, like, break rules in Japan. They're a very organized and respectful society. And I would like to say that we were very respectful. The rest of the time we were there, that was the one time we were very bad and broke the rules um, and ran across the street. In Japan. And what was it like having your relationship back when you got home? I came back from Japan and had no idea Lady Gaga was a thing. Like, Lady Gaga had happened. Had happened and had already passed. Like, everybody knew who she was and what she was about, so it was not even, like, a topic anymore. So, like, I heard it on the radio. I'm like, huh, this is kind of cool. What is this? And everyone's like, how do you not know Lady Gaga? And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, if you're away for four months, you miss out so much culturally. Like, there's just, like... So there got to be a point where it was, like, it was hard to have, like, things to talk about. Like, like you know, like, I would share everything that's going on with me, and he'd share everything that's going on with him. But then there's, like, that awkward, like... And it was just rough, because it's rough emotionally, because it's, like... And I will admit, there's, like, definitely, like, low points in Japan where I was, like, really, really depressed because Nate wasn't there with me. So maybe, not so surprisingly, it wasn't long after that that Kira and Nate got engaged. School ended, like, May. We had the graduation ceremony June. By July, I was engaged. It's a funny story. (laughs) Nate was going to propose to me originally in the airport because we had spent so much time in airports because we were constantly flying back and forth to see each other. And so the plan was he was going to propose to me in the airport as soon as I got off the plane. Well, you can't propose at the airport, like, right off the plane anymore because of security. So as soon as I would get out of, like, you know, the secure areas where he'd propose. Well, he ended up running late. He ended up, um, he was, he thought, you know, oh, I'm going to go get flowers for me for when he proposes. So he leaves the house with more than plenty of time, goes to the local florist. The florist was closed for vacation. So the only florist in town is closed. He, like, changes his mind and he tries to go somewhere he tried to go to like the grocery store or something and they didn't have flowers either so he's at this point he's like uh i just need to go i'm gonna be late at this point in like western upstate new york where he's from um there's a lot of trains and it's country so when a train comes by it's one of those long trains that goes and goes like you can be sitting there for 10 20 minutes waiting for a train to go by so he's stuck on this road basically waiting for this train to go by and he's like freaking out because now he's late. And he noticed there's like a florist over next to me, or like next to where he's sitting, uh, waiting with his car. So he like pulls into like it's like a nursery, like not a florist, like a nursery, like you know where you buy like baby plants and stuff. So he gets the potted plant, puts it in the car. But finally, the train is gone. He's able to go. He's now late. 
So I have actually arrived at the airport and I'm waiting for him. This is no longer the dramatic plan he was planning where, I, where he would be waiting for me and just propose there in the airport and be all romantic. And uh, I actually have already come out of the gate. I've come out of security and everything. And actually, I was in the bathroom. And when he comes, when he came into the airport, he's like, it's okay. in his mind, he's like, it's okay. It's okay. This will still work out. This will be good. And he sees me walk out of the bathroom. And he's just like, darn it. Cannot propose to her coming out of the bathroom. That is not romantic. Nope. I missed the opportunity. He was like freaking out because he missed his like, you know, come out of the, you know, exit. And he proposes. There's people. And and I was cracking up because there he is. He just shows up at the airport and he's like frazzled holding a potted flower. And I'm just like laughing hysterically like he did not understand my meaning of getting me flowers. This is very sweet, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> Meanwhile, he is, like, panicking his brain, like, oh, my God, what do I do? I just botched the whole proposal. The whole moment is gone. <laughs> so I could tell he was, like, really distracted. And he gets me out to the car and everything like that. And I'm just, like, you know, laughing. I'm just, like, throwing my bags in the car. And I, like, hop into the car. And he's just, like, you don't even let me get the door for you. Like, I'm just ruining all his plans. <laughs> so since I've ruined all his plans, finally he was just, like, he just, like, stopped what he was doing and then came over to my side of the car and, like, reopened the door. And he actually just got down on one knee right there in the parking lot. And I was like, will you marry me? <laughs> he just went for it. And I said yes. So it wasn't, like, super perfect, but it was very funny. And then it gets even crazier. We get to his house. Because he had left so... He was such a nervous mess when he had left the house. He forgot to bring the key with him. So there was no one in the house. Um, we're locked out. The dog inside was freaking out because it knew that we were outside. And uh, it was heavy rain clouds about to storm. Like thunder, lightning, cats, dogs, crazy rain. So we had to then break into his house. So he had to climb up through a second story window to get into the house to break in. And then let me in just in time before the deluge of rain. And that's how we got engaged. While we may have missed the rain that day, a string of bad luck was not far behind. And I think particularly when it comes to bad luck, when it rains, it pours. Graduate 2009, when the economy had just crashed, so nobody was hiring. I have probably applied to so many jobs in my life, so many. It's crazy. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. So the problem is that I had got my degree in film with no intention of doing film. So it's hard to convince other companies that my film degree does relate to their company. And then Nate had graduated with a degree in math. Um, so he was trying to find a, a job, and that was a little hard. He eventually got stuff in um, doing IT work and computer science because he's always tech savvy. But that was hard for me, like finding for both of us really, for finding jobs. And for a while, he was just working part time at a library. I was working at um, a small private school, but they really couldn't afford to pay me that much. Like so, for two years, two whole years post college, we were barely making enough, and we actually up until like two, three months prior to the wedding, had no idea how we would be able to live on our own. We were going to have to get married and then live in one of our parents' houses. Like, we were so strapped for money. It was insane. And, like, that sucks. Like, like on one hand, I am so grateful that Nate's parents and my parents are able, They're both of them are doing well enough that they either set would have been able to have taken care of us. But that stings. Two years post-college and you still don't have jobs that can basically afford to take care of, you know, basic stuff. I ended up getting, I ended up getting a job with a radio station in Washington, D.C. Like in April and we were getting married in July. And Nate then got a job at the last minute with, um, a company we all of a sudden went from the problem of like you know no jobs to two jobs and which one do we pick so which is I guess a good thing but then at the same time one of us would then have to leave a job and then we'd only have one salary instead of two so we went with Nate's job um, it wasn't what we thought it was gonna be and it was because it's a small town um, I had a hard time finding another job and when I did find another job it was uh, for a small radio station, and I got some decent experience, but it was like, I've already hit the ceiling. That's, that's I need something more. I felt like I could do everything that I could do there. Like, I constantly asked for more work, and they couldn't give me more work. Just, there needed to be more for me, and I just felt like it wasn't a good fit. Um, also, it was a very complicated time. 
um, the week after Nate and I got married, um, my 10-year-old cousin died. Um, he died without any real reason. He basically just went to sleep one night and never woke up. So they actually, for months, were doing autop- like, they did an autopsy, and then they did, like, they took samples, and they did testing and testing and testing for months, and the forensic people were working with the, uh, pediatrician. Everybody was working so hard to figure out why, and we never got an answer. The most we ever got was he had a heart that was ever so slightly, uh, large, but nothing that they felt would have been terribly out of the ordinary. And I think that struck me really hard um, because I loved him and there was no reason. There was no reason or rhyme to what happened. And I have always kind of had the belief of like a very order. Like if I, you know, I can understand this, like, you know, if I can understand this, then it's okay. But to have like something in my life where like I can't understand, there is no semblance of understanding. There is no reason. There is no... And so, like, for the first time in my life, I had to really deal with... Because I was a very control person, where I felt like I needed to control a lot of things in my life. This was the first thing where there was, like, there's no control. There's... Anything could happen, and you could just fall over dead. Yeah. Wow. That is heavy. Um, I know your faith has always been really important to you. How did this like affect that? Did it change your beliefs or your thoughts? On At this? the time, I had a really hard time, and I had always thought like if something had happened, like I'd still be cool with God. But like, this was like hard because it's like I can't blame cancer. I can't blame a person, you know, or or fault a person, you know. I can't, you know, freak accident of nature. You know, there is nothing, there is no semblance of reason why this should have happened. So it was very hard for me from a faith perspective to deal with it. And it took me a while to, it was very hard for me to be in church. It was very hard for me to um, speak to God on a personal level that I used to. Um, and it took me a while, like, and, like it's, it's still hard in some ways. Um, but I, I think I'm much better, like in a much better place, but it was a bitter relationship um, for me for a while. I marathoned Buffy the Vampire Slayer a lot during that time when I was at home post-funeral. Um, but actually the episode, there's an episode where Buffy's mom dies and it was a very similar, it was like scary similar because she was having a medical condition but, and they thought she was okay, and then all of a sudden she just, out of the blue, dies. You know, that whole entire just out of blindsided with death uh, helped me deal with my own grieving with um, the loss of my cousin. So um, I was actually very depressed for a while, and then after finally finding a job, but still, like, I think feel, feel like that kind of really colored my view because I had, like, I had just moved up to the area right after I got married, this death had occurred, and then I was just like, I hate this area, I just hate everything, I just was depressed and hated it all, and then I found out, um, I was there for almost a year before I found out that my sister had cancer, um, she was living down in Maryland with my parents, um, she had, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, so at that point I was like, forget it, I already hate this place, let's go back to Maryland, let's go back to D.C., there's more jobs there, there's, you know, my sister's there, I feel like I need to be there for her, I can't do this anymore. So we ended up moving back to D.C., I had gotten a job with another radio station, it was Nate's turn to be unemployed for a while, because, like, that's, I feel like, been our life story, like, as soon as someone gets a job, the other one gets unemployed somehow, and... <laughs> can never seem to get our heads above water, but we moved in with my parents, um, with the idea of that being temporary until Nate found a position. And how's your sister doing now? She's okay. She is now cancer-free. Um, she had thyroid cancer. Um, what was scary was that at the time she was pregnant with our second child, um, so we, there was concern about the cancer affecting the baby, because your thyroid controls your hormones. Um, none of that affected the baby. Um, but the other part that was scary was... Um, it just took a while for her to get treatment, so there was, like, the concern about it growing and spreading, and, but overall, it was, like, her super treatable cancer, so, like, on top of, like, normal life stress of just being a young married couple and living in a whole new city that neither of us were familiar with, we then had to, uh, deal with, uh, the death 
and then illness, and then, but, like, before even, like, the death and illness, like, we had just normal adult stuff to deal with, like, managing a household on our own, like, rent, and paying for the water bills, and, like, just be, like, learning how to adult without that how to adult series being created yet. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. And then, even throughout all this, Kira also had her own health issues to deal with. I feel like I have to start back at the beginning. I would have like freakouts, like complete utter freakouts, where I like couldn't handle social situations. Um, where I would just kind of like I'd be fine one minute, and then all of a sudden just kind of like freak out, feel like I couldn't breathe, feel like you know the room was spinning, like just couldn't handle the situation. Um, and I would need to leave. I would get real upset, cry, and need to leave. And like I felt bad because there was like several situations where like. Um, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, like, we would be hanging out with friends, and then we'd have to, I would feel bad, I'd have to make him leave with me, because I was being in such a state that I would just need someone to, like, walk home with me, and then that kind of persisted into, um, life beyond college, um, where I actually got so bad to the point where, like, I was driving into work one day, and I had to, I actually, I was, like, shaking, like, shaking the entire way I got into the office and I just started crying and I was like no I can't be here and just start freaking out and like I can't I can't be here it's too much too much and just I had to drive home and I drove home with my mom on the phone the whole way and I was like just crying and freaking out the whole time so that turned out to be I was diagnosed with like panic attacks and then I started having um ocular issues um I had um an eye issue where all of a sudden on my left eye I couldn't like it would look like a really bad Instagram filter I couldn't see out of it there was like this big hazy uh, like whitish blur haze kind of covering my left eye. So I went to I went to eye doctor who then sent me to a specialist who then sent me to the specialist at Johns Hopkins. I had also been experiencing while well, this a uh, month or two prior to this happening, um, and this also started probably in college and continued to progress was I would get like fainting spells where like I would start to get really tired. All of a sudden just kind of like, the world would spin on me. And like, I also had um, actually experienced um, about or two of vertigo. And when you experience vertigo, it's like the world is literally spinning around you. You can't get up. It's crazy. And you feel nauseous and horrible. And like, and I noticed like I was getting more and more sensitive to riding on airplanes and trains and stuff like that. So when I went finally went to the specialist and I talked to them, they were really concerned about it being something serious. Because if, you know, Something's not going on right with your head. Something's not right going on with your eye. Like, you're balancing your eye. Like, oh, it's not good. So after a bunch of appointments and everything, we were able to figure out there are actually two separate things going on. And on top of all that, I had the panic attacks going because I didn't understand what was going on with my body. So that was causing me to freak out extra. And that was the hard thing. Like, separate. That was the biggest thing, I think, during all this medical stuff was separating out the separate symptoms to separate conditions. So they figured out that the dizziness was actually being caused by um, what's called vestibular migraines. Basically, the panic attacks were being triggered partially by social situations, but in part because when you start to have like the symptoms for vestibular migraines, like you'll, you could feel giddy, which I feel like is a weird way to say it, but I, I read an article with someone explaining it, and that's like the best way to describe it, is like you start to feel a little giddy. That was kind of causing my anxiety, because like, you know, I'm feeling off, I'm feeling weird, I'm feeling dizzy, you know, and that would trigger the panic of, oh no, I need to be concerned, what's going on with me? Um, and then with the eye thing, eventually figured out it was like uh, just a very strong form of keratitis, and they put me on steroids, and I'm still on steroids. You just kind of do, it's kind of, one of those things where they just treat the symptoms, so... Sorry if that's anticlimactic, but it sucks. You just kind of kind of deal with it, and it actually had it for so long that it did permanently scar my cornea. So, like, vision out of my left eye is just different. It's always going to be different, and, like, that was kind of upsetting for a while. That just, my vision is going to be different. Now I still can see 20-20 vision, so I feel like I can't complain. I really can't complain, but I can't do my contact lenses anymore. I'm still doing steroids all the time. So because of the eye thing, it allowed me to figure out the vestibular migraine thing, which allowed me to figure out panic attack thing, like how to make it less, how to have it happen less. This also happened to be the time when Kira found the light that we all know as the Vlogbrothers and Nerdfighteria. I feel like in college I watched like a smattering of YouTube, um, but I really wasn't like super into it. Um, and I liked, I think, John and Hank, but I didn't like 
really, I think, dive into it until actually I rediscovered them post-college. I guess it was 2009 going into 2010. That was when I was, I went from being unemployed. I was trying to figure out like, what am I doing? What am I going to do with my life? Oh my God. Panicking because now all the structure of school is gone. You are just there in the world. Terrifying. So I had actually done a feature-length screenplay in college that I really liked. And I had started to think of the idea about turning it into a book. And so I was like Googling, you know, what's the really the validity of turning something into a book or what's the process or, you know, just kind of looking into that. And actually, that's how I rediscovered uh, John and Hank was because uh, John had done some videos about writing. And actually, I remember very specifically Maureen Johnson, who was covering for him um, while he was on paternity leave. For Henry, um, she had done some stuff about writing, what's like to be working the work as a writer and in the um, industry of pub, or I guess getting your works published and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I ended up rediscovering. And then like marathon to like all the videos from the Vlog Brothers. Um, <clears throat> and actually, I was rewatching some of them earlier today. I miss the old intro, the old like 2.0 intro. That was cool. And like, I miss the puff. I feel like the puff is not there anymore. Like, like the hair is more contained. I miss the big, like the volume of the puff. That was awesome. <laughs> I really love um, John and Hank. I think they make awesome videos. Um, I like how in their videos they pose big questions and make us think and, and discuss, even though I am still dealing with shy issues and I actually don't talk on the internet at all. I lurk a lot. Um, but I think what makes me a nerd fighter is that I love learning. I love reaching out to other people and connecting with other people um, through media. Um, this The Vlogbrother show is the form of media that I feel I'm able to connect with other people and enjoy you know, the discussion with them, even though I don't always, even though I'm not active I think it's, it's just mostly the, the enjoyment of learning and sharing and just trying to, as they say, uh, decrease world suck. And Kira has never given up on her love of storytelling. The way I've been doing my storytelling is actually uh, finally after playing D&D for almost 10 years, um, I finally realized I actually love DMing. Which is kind of like, duh, that's the storytelling part of D&D. Like, so basically I come up with the stories for our group. I am the DM. I come up with all the stories and share the experiences with all of them. And it's like really cool because it's what kind of like I really wanted. Like coming up with stories and being able to share them with the group and having like that wonderful like shared excitement and experience. So, it, and it also I feel like has re-inspired because what was also going to happen is before my cousin died, um, the plan was Nate got this new job. I had been playing with the idea of writing a book, um, but I was also wedding planning at the time, so it was kind of crazy. So the plan was, you know, I could write for a little bit while job hunting um, after the wedding, but then my cousin died and I just kind of fell into like a depressed funk and writing didn't happen. And it's kind of been trying to get life situated ever since then. Doing D&D and like creating a story and sharing it with a group of people and people liking it has like given me a certain level of confidence because there's always like the, I think it's that the nerves of oh you know I could write this but would people like it is that too cliche is that too like you know is any like I guess the confidence to then share it with people you know that's like them liking my story um, has given me like the confidence of, of wanting to write again and wanting to try take a crack at it again and maybe see what happens with it. That's so awesome. Do you have like a a happy place, a place you would call a happy place? Where is that? I like to call it the dreaming place. My happy place is where I get to usually I need like music without lyrics and I get to what I call the dreaming place where like I get to this like daydreaming kind of place where like all my best ideas come from and I can just write effortlessly. Ah, oh, it is such a good feeling. And just like all the ideas start like popping into you, all the plot ideas and all like, you know, the, the crosshairs and the cross sections of like people's stories. And like, that's my happy place. Like it's such a high, like just, to, I just, just ink is, you know, you're just writing. I like personally, I like the tactile pleasure of like, writing instead of typing, which I know is probably bad. I know typing is so much better. It goes so much quicker, but I just physically enjoy writing stuff down. So just the dreaming place of, you know, a cup of tea, 
in the dreaming the, the zone per se, but I like to call it the dreaming place and just getting all the ideas out. That's so cool. Like I asked that question thinking it would be like a physical place and then it's just this place in your mind that you can go to whenever you want and that is so awesome. So where, Kira, where do you see your future? Like what kind of old lady do you think you're gonna be? Do you wanna have kids? What do you, what do you imagine for the future? I hope to be a cool old lady. I hope to be constantly trying new things. I hope to keep up with technology. Uh, that's my goal. Like, don't ever fall behind. Uh, keep up with everything. All of a sudden, like, next thing you know, it's like, well, we can follow our dreams or we can start a family, which is also part of our dreams. Both cost money. Which are we going to do? Well, there's, like, a time limit to kids. Like, there, there is and there isn't. Like, people have kids now in their 40s and late 40s and stuff like that. But um, personally, we would like to have kids, you know, before 30. Um, just because you're, you're, I feel like when you're younger, you're able to keep up with them a little bit more. So that's definitely something we're looking into. But when I'm old, I want to be cool. Be cool and active and interesting. <laughs> well, that certainly sounds like you, Kira. And I wish you all the best with that. Um, now, for the last part of the show, I want to do a little this or that lightning round with you. See how many you can do in a minute, okay? All right, let's see what we can do. This. We're going to get to 100. Let's do this. And here we go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Decaf. Black and white or color? Color. Drawings or painting? Painting. Dresses or skirts? Dress. Books or movies? Books. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Chinese or Italian? Chinese. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Hugs or kisses? Both. John or Paul? The Beatles, I imagine. Paul. Hunting or fishing? Neither. Winter or summer? Summer. Spring or fall? Fall. Rural or urban? Rural. PC or Mac? PC all the way! Tan or pale? Pale. Cake or pie? Cake! Ice cream or yogurt? Ice cream. Ketchup or mustard? Ice cream. Sweet pickles or dill pickles? <laughs> dill pickles. And that's a minute. If you got 22. Yes! Beat that, everybody. Very good. I'm sure you will. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much, Kira, for being here and doing this with me. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me. I love you, and I absolutely loved hearing the story of Kira, and I hope everyone of our listeners did, too. Please check out our Tumblr at imaginingcomplexlypodcast.tumblr.com where you can see some of Kira's artwork and other pictures from this episode. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at ImagineComplex where you will know the minute the very next episode comes out and you can tell me how much you loved or hated this episode. Music is by Kevin McLeod at IncomeTech.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast, but this podcast was harmed by some animals. Sorry, sorry, can you just hold on? I have to let the cat in. One second. Thank you for listening. This has been Imagining Complexly. And remember, that person in the comments is a person.